0: Good morning again. It's been uh, sometimes, sometimes
1: times in our lives, uh, different times in our lives. We go through stages within those times. You're in school. You study and study and study, and then you have a test. And most of the time, your test isn't to see whether you pass or fail, but to demonstrate how how cool it is that you learn the material. Sometimes we have moments as parents when our child gets temperature, and nothing we do will knock it down. And we're patient and... We go and we trust afterwards whether we've gone to urgent care or gone to the hospital or finally the Tylenol started working, the temperature came down, and it's over, and we're thankful to God because all our efforts didn't prove to be fruitful. These last two weeks have been one of those stages for us that's really, really difficult as a body. And so I'm, I want to encourage you this morning, especially believers this morning, with seeing the Spirit of God at work in us and how He's worked in you because of what He's made us and because of how He wants us to carry on as believers. And for you to be thankful because what we see in the Scripture today will be you'll see reflected in your life. I'm doing these things already. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, brothers, as you've always obeyed in my presence. As you've always obeyed in my presence. Now much more in my absence. They were already being obedient. And faith church, to a large degree, we've been obedient in our passage today. So, I want to encourage
0: you, if you see those things in your walk, and if you don't, the Spirit of God will reveal those things to you. So, we know God has an intent for us,
1: after he saves us, to make us more Christ-like. And he never does that. Well, I can't say he never does that, but, but like a kaleidoscope, different... Areas of our walk are made more holy. Today we'll look at this one area of God making us more Christ-like when we function correctly as believer priests. Revelation 1.6 and Revelation 5.10 says that God has made us all priests, not, not like the priest of some other denominations, but to represent one another before God, to go before God, to go confidently before God as a priest, similar to the Old Testament, but more like Christ represents us. So I want to, uh, I want to discuss some of this from... Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And as we go there, in order for this to work, I need you to follow along with me carefully, closely. Take your device, if you have a device, and turn to Hebrews 1. And we're going to do a, a little bit of a whirlwind. Um, But worship is different for us than it used to be before Jesus came. If if you've got your pew Bible, the uh, larger Bible, I think you're on page 1001. And the skinnier Bible is page 941.
0: So if you look at that with me, Hebrews emphasizes the high priestly
1: work of Christ. Jesus died, went to the cross. On the cross, he said, it is finished. That work was accomplished. But he's still working in us, and part of that is his current session in heaven. So what's that all about? A large part of that is intercession. And so I want to I look at that. In the book of Hebrews, they talk, the writer talks about the priesthood, or a priest, or the priestly ministry at least 35 times. There are passages dealing with that. So this is a a huge emphasis for him. And just before we begin this, in order for us to understand, we, we need to study the priest's a little bit, and what Jesus is doing now, and the differences between those ministries, that's going to go by very fast. But I want to read, just jumping ahead for a minute, if you'll just listen, Hebrews 5 says, verse 7, "...in the days of his flesh," keep your finger at one, About this we have much to say, about his being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. I don't mean that to you, I'm just reading. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ And go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You're a believer. You don't need to be evangelized again. End of instruction about washings. The laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Isn't it interesting that he classifies end times items with milk? Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. And holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved... He starts, he's going to go on, discuss the priestly work of Christ. And those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, he's headed toward chapter 11. That's what the next chapters are all about. But we have to survey the verses that reference both, the high priestly position, the work of Jesus during his present session in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And here we go. Go back to... Chapter, actually, we'll start at chapter 2, verse 17. And I'm just going to go column by column so you'll be able to follow along quickly. You'll have to scroll quickly if you're on your device. 2.17, I just want to highlight these. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is amazing. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. When he says confession here, he's thinking of our allegiance. We already know, and now we do. We we are faithful to Christ. Here are two verses about his intercessory work. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He understands. He's interceding. Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins he's talking about the old covenant priesthood verse 5 just a few verses so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest he is he didn't do that to himself but was appointed by him who said you are my son today I have begotten you now the next verse as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For how long? How long does Jesus' priesthood continue? Forever. So he's been appointed that and it endures. Verse 10 being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's going to say that over and over again. Melchizedek, you remember, is the priest Abraham offered offerings to when he came back from the battle of the five kings back in Genesis chapter 6 verse 20 where Jesus has gone as a forerunner what's a forerunner do paves a way for others to follow as a forerunner on our behalf For our benefit, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, he is without father or mother. I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 3. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning nor end of days, nor beginning of days, nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, Melchizedek. He continues a priest forever. Verse 11. Now, here's a distinction between the Old Testament sacrifices And what Christ has done, verse 11, 7, okay, 7-11, sorry, it's easy to remember. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Moses came down with the tablets. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. What tribe of Israel held the priesthood in perpetuity under the old covenant? Levi, Levi. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, I'm sorry, I'm not angry. I'm just excited. (laughs) Moses said nothing about the priests from the tribe of Judah. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life because he didn't stay in the grave. I know someone said amen. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 20, duration again. It was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Who swore? The Lord swore. Oh yeah, this is is so far beyond set in stone. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were presented by death from continuing in office, but Christ has an indestructible life, so he continues forever to minister on our behalf. Verse 26, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. Jesus is not representing himself to the Father today. On the cross, it was finished. First, the priests in the Old Covenant had to offer sacrifice for their own sins, then for the priests of the people. Since he did this once, For all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, so there are just a couple of dominant ideas that are coming together as we as we end here. I'm not going to go on into chapter eleven and twelve and thirteen. I'll stop when we get to chapter ten, but just a couple more, Hebrews eight, one. Now the point, now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such, this is the point. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Verse 6 of chapter 9. These preparations, having thus been made, go regularly into the first section of the tabernacle or the temple. And then we went to the holy place and then into the holy of holies. But into the second, into the holy of holies, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, and look at this, for the unintentional sins of the people. If you sinned high-handedly, there was one penalty: If you broke the Ten Commandments, there was one penalty. That's how seriously God takes this. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, Christ went. Some of you grew up in a Roman Catholic environment. And verse 24 talks a little bit about this point. We think we hold to a little bit more biblical position. Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. I, I remember growing up hearing someone saying, when Satan in the throne room of God comes to accuse the brothers, Jesus turns around and says, Father, all my sin— all, not all my sins, I paid for all the sins of this one that Satan is accusing. And it's case dismissed. There's no condemnation for that one. But he's not being sacrificed again. That's contrary to everything that we've, we've seen so far and everything that goes on in Leviticus. The repetition of those sacrifices over and over again, and that's not the way it is with Christ. Verse 25, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Chapter 10, the Levitical priest, every, verse 11, 10, 11, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Okay. So, the priesthood of Christ is not like the Levitical priesthood. It's forever forever not temporary, just based on their life, but based on his life. It's intercessory. That's similar. It's for us to benefit, or for him to benefit us. And then third, the effect. As this survey goes, Christ's sacrifice takes away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices were just temporary. But Jesus... Paid it all. Jesus paid it all. How else can you, according to Romans 5.1, have peace with God right now? Even as we confessed our sins this morning. If we were to stand before God, if Jesus came back now and we stood in his presence... Physically, spiritually, however that works, when he's transformed our lowly bodies and made it like his own, and we have peace. Well, we have peace now. And how is it that we don't have condemnation? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's how certain and how effective his sacrifice was for us. As a believer you no longer fear condemnation. And that's not license to sin. That's motivation to righteousness. The things that Christ died for can't possibly be a motivation to wake us up in the morning. All right, so here we go. Worship is different. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19 of chapter 10. Now we're gonna go really fast because we've got to go really fast and i forgot to set my timer john did you leave your phone up here just kidding just kidding all right okay okay well you still got like 30 okay i'll take 20 here we go so if that goes I'll, I'll not i'll not be strange i'll try not to be strange so let's look at verse 19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's literally the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter that by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain. Sounds like the veil. That is through his flesh. Ooh, our curtain is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now let's look, before we go on, let's look at this. God makes us more Christ-like when we function the way we ought to as believer priests. You are a priest also. Revelation, we went there, saw that. We now have access before God, and it's it's a confident kind of access. Look at it in verse 19. He says that. Having this, the situation is complete and perfectly prepared for us so that we come with joyful confidence, not arrogance. I I don't want to say that the eggshells are gone, but when we come into God's presence, why do we come into God's presence? What does that just sound like? When we come, not just here to worship and hearing the word, but when we come to pray. Why, Why do we come to pray? We come to pray for our own needs like I did yesterday, like I did this morning. Thank you, Lord, for not taking my life because of my sin. But we have confidence to go in. Confidence like we do when we go into our house because we belong there, because Jesus secured that for you. He's secured that for us. He's secured that for all of us as believers, as priests, men, young men, kids. You are a believer priest also, and you go before God with confidence. Of course, we go and confess our sin, but he's not really talking about that. He's talking about the way Christ paved for us to go in, Ladies, ladies, how many of you have ever coached? Okay, good. Men, how many of you have ever coached? Okay, a couple more. When you coach, and how many of you participated on sports teams? Okay, good. That's, that's easier. I'll, I'll remember it. Let me make a note. When your coach puts you into a certain position, he sees what he wants for the team and how you're best gifted for that. So he puts you there. Well, Jesus has worked out, not like a coach, but like God, to make us be bent a certain way, with gifts and talents and abilities, and he puts us where he wants us. And that's part of the reason why we have the confidence, because we're going in, we know it's not us, but he's equipped us, so we go in boldly and confidently, but not because of us, but like at the end of verse 19, because of the blood of Christ, we go in. So, worship is different From the old way to the new way, because Jesus has prepared us for this. So we have confidence before God. Verse 20, Jesus provides this certainty because of his work on the cross that he introduces to us in verse 19. He says, By a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. It's a new way. He's writing to Hebrew believers who are familiar with the Old Testament system. They're being tempted to go back under the law, but there's a new way to come before God. How did you go to God before? You weren't an individual priest in the Old Covenant. You had to come to the temple, to the tabernacle, and get right with God through a mediator, through an advocate. But we've got a new way. We do have an advocate. Christ is our advocate, but he inaugurated this for us. So this idea kind of, this this new and living way that he opened to us, for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, sounds just like a rhyme for by his blood in the previous verse. He opened the way into the presence of God for us And for everyone who believes, for every Christian by the cross, his dying on the cross tore the veil from what was the tabernacle and after in the temple. That barrier, Jesus provided that way. And now, in verse 21, he represents believers who are already forgiven. Let me ask you a question. In the Old Covenant, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he's making intercession for whom? For himself, which is kind of interesting, but he's he's making intercession for people in the covenant, right? Is, Is he offering sacrifice for the Amorite high priest that's sacrificing babies? No. Wait, wait. Is he, is, he, is he offering sacrifices, let's say, going back a little bit, like for Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies who would be chasing the Jews? No. So it's the covenant people that are being represented and interceded for. I'm not saying when we go to God, we don't still pray for our loved ones to come to Christ. But if they if all we do is pray for them to change their sinful ways without coming to Christ, we haven't really done anything for them. So this intercession, verse 21 says, we have a great high priest over the house of God. So remember the focus of the camera for us is heavenly. It's the heavenly throne room of God, just like Isaiah 6. So having this... Jesus is in charge of everything pertaining to the Father, and he made a way for us to come in. So we come in. We will be coming in as long as sin exists. We will be coming in with sinful things that we have to confess, but we're also coming in interceding for each other. And we're doing that. Who are we copying? We're copying Christ, except he's apart from sin. We're coming in confessing our sin. We're coming in representing one another. And sometimes we pray for one another because we don't have the words. And the Spirit of God prays for us. And he hears those things. So, second point, second point, and I'm done. 22 through 25. Three progressive practices make us, as we turn the kaleidoscope for how we're made Christ-like, This isn't be-all and end-all. This is just another aspect of our walk. These three progressive practices make us more Christ-like as as believer priests. Look at the first words, let us. Look at verse 23, let us. Verse 24, let us. And then he's going to go on into verse 25 with that. Let us is always a command. Hey, do this. Who's the subject in the do this command? You, but here he says, let us. This is a command for all of us. And who is us in this passage? Believer, priests, us. This is all of us from the youngest to the oldest because I've already shrunk an inch. I understand. I understand. But these three practices make us more Christ-like. Beloved, you can be certain of it because we're told so here. Let us draw near. Where are we drawing near? We have access to the throne room of God with confidence because we're supposed to be there. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the first element in this preparation for us to serve, Christ made us fit, but he also welcomed us before the Father. So, to come in Prayer and intercession. And so we do that same thing. We draw near in confidence of what Christ has done. He made that way for us. So we are to come before God because we've been given a true heart. My heart is corrupt and deceitful beyond everything, and I don't even understand it myself. But the emphasis in the text isn't on me, it's on Jesus. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Our hearts, the, the most inner recesses of us has been sprinkled clean. We've been changed. We've been given a new heart. This is phenomenal. So let us draw near. This is a command. Draw near because your heart is pure. You do that, don't you? You come before God even though you have sin that interrupts. You confess your sin and you come (laughs) because where else are you going to go for your sin? There is no place to go. It's only Jesus and Calvary's love, so to speak. Second, we're to come before God confidently, since that is what faith in Christ gives us so we're certain of a right status before God that's why we are confident not because of us but because of what he's done for us so as we move on we're going to come before God because our hearts are made clean we're going to come before God because our bodies are purified, that sounds like baptism, doesn't it? So we, he cleansed us. It also sounds like other passages in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, like God washing us with pure water that may not be a reference to baptism, but a washing of the scriptures to cleanse our minds, here our bodies. So our hearts, our heart represents our minds, our minds, our spirit, our innermost being, and our bodies, we are being sanctified. We are positionally, in our status, we're, we have the righteousness of Christ. And this is why we can come boldly before God. Second, verse 23, the second phase in our priestly efforts. So first, we're coming to God. We're coming to God with more regularity. We're coming confidently. When you practice that, what happens in your thinking? Sometimes you take it for granted, but you get better at it. You practice it. How do you get better at it? You live worthy of the gospel. You walk worthy of the gospel. We're being made more Christ-like, and that's what he tells us to do. Do this but it's not you do this, it's let us do this, because this is what believers do. The second phase in our high priest, or our priestly efforts, is confidence with the scriptures. Verse 23, he says, let us hold fast,
0: the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There, that's not holding it fast.
1: Being quick about grasping it is not what he means. Children, sometimes fast doesn't just mean sonic. Older folks, sometimes fast is not Speedy Gonzalez or the Roadrunner. Fast, do you see the camera? The projector, sorry. Why does it stay there? It's fastened. F-A-S-T. It's fastened. That's what he means here. Let's hold this confession of our hope. Our hope is ahead. You don't hope for what you already have. Right? I hope I get a phone. It's silly and don't ever say it again. Because I already have it. You don't hope for what you already have. You hope for what's coming. And we have a lot that's coming. The redemption of our bodies are being made like Christ when he appears because we'll see him as he is. But that's just the end. That's like the writer to the Hebrews says, that's the milk that gets us going. But here, we're going to hold fast to the confession that we have now that's
0: pointing us to the hope without wavering. So everything that we know
1: to be true from Scripture we cling to it. This is now about the fifth sermon in the One Another series. Everything that Pastor Mike preached everything Pastor Jason preached Pastor Lee is going to I'm sorry Elder Lee is going (laughs) to preach later And now this, these are things that we know, and not just what we know, but it's added to what we know. And so we hold fast to this, not just the certainty of Christ, but everything that we have in our knowledge of growing and becoming more Christ-like. And here in this passage, it has to do with our ministry for ourselves, before the presence of God, and before God for one another. Copying Christ to be Christ-like. And now we're going to swerve. We're not going to swerve. It's we're going to be unwaveringly we're going to hold fast to this confession of our hope. Believers do this. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. We're faithful because Christ is faithful. We're faithful to be obedient to what we know. Do we know it all? Of course not. And we get a little bit older, we learn a little bit more of scripture, we say oh, I didn't I didn't know and now God rebuilds us and makes us more Christ-like. And here, as a priest in the presence of God this is what we do. It's let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. To a large degree, we all believe the same things. And let us hold fast. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. There have been times when you've not been sure. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. God is faithful to his word. Sometimes you didn't know, but you were faithful, and God proved himself faithful over and over again. I talked to the men a week ago at Bible study. And I said, you know what? When, when we begin to doubt our relationship to God, when we have those moments, and sin is bettering or besting us or busting us, and we think, how in the world can I be a believer? And when you've had those moments, have you ever once doubted the sufficiency of Christ? I bet not. It's just whether, it's, whether I'm living up to what I know I ought to. Well, here he says, focus on holding on to what you know that gets us to the hope because Christ is faithful. The nearer the world comes to an end, the more is God's immutability seen from his promises and predictions and the more must our unchangeableness be seen in our obedience if God is faithful and unchangeable we should be unchangeable in our obedience some of you are new believers some of you are older believers and you have more in your file cabinet and that's okay because you look more like Christ and you're an example to us all
0: Third, okay, I'll turn that off now.
1: This is a dual aspect is our ministry to one another to practice this righteous standing as a believer priest, to practice. He says it positively and then he says it negatively in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, there's my part of the one another series. Christ has purified us and made us whole. We have the righteousness of Christ, so much so you can come before God confidently, knowing that Christ has paved that way for you. You're holding to what you know biblically. And now, he says, stir one another up to love and good works. Consider <clears throat> consider means to stare at, to focus on it. What can I do? Kind of like our coach. Our coach says, how can I put Phil in the right spot? Where does Where does he need to go? We have this need. Oh, I can plug Phil in over there. So now you've interceded for each other. You've managed as best the Spirit of God has convicted you of your own sin. You're interceding for one another. And now he says, consider. And consider here means to think appropriately and with some effort. How we're gonna do this next step to stir one another up to good works, to love and good works. Okay, this word stir one another up is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here and it's used in Acts 15:39. And it means to provoke like a stick. Like when you're walking down the hall. In middle school and the guy you don't like is coming and he hits you <clears throat> he wants me to hit him he's provoking me okay so it's not a negative but it's the same kind of intensity and it's the intensity that you have when when you just can't control I, I've got to do this I've got to call my brother not my physical brother but my believing brother I've got to call him because because something's not right, I got some red flags going up, I got to call him, or something else, and I know I should call him. And you tell your wife, you, your kids hear that, well, Dad, when are you going to do it? And finally, you just can't stand it anymore, you have to respond. It's that kind of intensity. It's, it's the intensity that produces a sudden outburst. Um, if you're in medicine at all and you remember your medical terminology, it's the same word we get our paroxysm from. It's that kind of force toward being engaged in love and good works. But that same kind of intensity and that same kind of energy, he says, think about this with, with some planning. How can I tell my brother, hey, do this. What is he good at? What is she good at? How have, wait a minute, this is your responsibility as well as yours and yours. Not just mine, not just any of the pastors or any of the, but this is our ministry. Let us do this. Think about how you're going to minister to one another so that their response is spurred, oh, I'm going, but it's not for a fight or a fight against sin, because what's the goal, love and good works, so how can we do that if we aren't together, and you're all here, so of course. Like I said at the beginning, you're already being faithful and obedient. And thank you, Lord, for I I can see you at work in my life doing all this. But some of our brothers and sisters don't. And some of the Hebrews brothers and sisters didn't because he says in verse 25, not only positively stir one another up, but not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. A habit is something you do what? Over and over, repeatedly. And even if you don't want to, you get good at that habit. Good habit or bad habit. It it doesn't matter, but some of these believers have developed the habit of not being in the body. This is not what we do. This is not what believers do. This is not what believer priests do. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this idea of the day drawing near, either from their perspective, has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem at the time of writing, or the day of judgment. We are not looking for the destruction of our city, but the judgment that will occur at Christ's return. So he tells us, let's make a habit of not only going before God faithfully, but ministering to one another faithfully so that we're confident before God, our hearts are right, our hearts are confident, we're learning and growing in the scriptures, and because of that, we can minister to one another to provoke
0: one another to love and good works and to increase in that. Ephesians 2.10
1: says, We are his workmanship created. We, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. And here are some of those good works. I'm sorry. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 4, 14, 15, and 16 says, so that we may no longer be children on the milk, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, being Christ-like from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, like Christ has prepared us. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The writer to the Hebrews says that in this passage. Paul said that in Ephesians 4. When we minister to one another and are looking in this aspect, The most, we are more Christ-like when we're functioning properly as believer priests. We're confident before God. When someone calls on you to pray, you pray. And you pray appropriately and you intercede and you intercede appropriately. Beloved, the last two weeks have been really hard. But I, I couldn't think of another passage that would ground us more for today with our needs than ministering to one another as believer cre- believer priests because that's what
0: Christ has equipped us for and paved the way for us to walk in let's pray Father in heaven thank you for loving us thank you for demonstrating your love for us
1: so that we glory in Christ So that we glory in your presence, knowing what's been done to make us whole, to purify us because we couldn't purify ourselves. Father, give us grace and strength to continue to minister to one another appropriately. Let us be freshly inventive and creative and recognize when our brothers and sisters are provoking us to good works, that that intensity is evidence of the Spirit of God at work in us, building us up in good works and growing us in Christ-likeness
0: together in love. In Jesus' name, amen.